When Noel was younger, she used to have the funniest prayers. I want us to pray for her after church, uh, before she went to bed. And she would have us pray that she wouldn't die while she was sleeping. I know that sounds pretty gruesome, but she would pray. She would say, wait, 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 pray, pray for us. And I would say, well, we already prayed for you. And she would say, no, no, no. She would say, pray that I don't die while I'm asleep. Pray that I wake up. And we're like, all right. She was the type of girl that like never really wanted to go to bed. So it's like, just go to bed. You could never say, just go to bed, when she's like, pray that I don't die. So she would pull that almost every night, because we'd be out the door. She's like, wait, pray that I wake up. <laughs> pray, pray that I don't die in my sleep. I'm like, where is she getting these ideas from, these concepts? But she was so funny about it. Um, and she would ask these really deep, insightful questions, which were great questions. We'd say, all right, it's time to go to bed. She's like, what if heaven's not real? You know, great question, you know? And we're like, okay, we'd answer the question. Time to go, to go to bed. What if I were, you know, if you were to die, what would happen to me? I mean, these are the questions that she would like reel us back in every night when she was going to bed. And you can't just say, just stop it, go to bed. These are like questions you have to linger on. But this was kind of the, the mindset that she had. And it's kind of the mindset I think all of us have, but we maybe suppress it. We, we think about it maybe uh, uh, every now and then. Uh, many are afraid of death, uh, suffering that may come or may not come, the unknown leaving family, saying goodbye. And, and the real question of this miniseries is, are you ready for the afterlife? And what happens the minute that you die? I've seen uh, lots of family and friends pass away over the years. You know, so I remember when uh, the very first experience with death of someone that I really cared for was my grandpa uh, when I was in second grade. That was was a big one for me. And then uh, over the years, I've seen other family members and caregivers and guardians pass away. And uh, my mother passed away. My father passed away. My brother passed away. Um, my best friend passed away. Uh, of course, as a pastor, members of our church pass away. Uh, death is painful. Death is painful. And uh, there's, there's uh, a lot of anxiety in death. And a lot of people are afraid of death. Uh, there's actually the top fears for death. All right? These are the top fearful ways that people are afraid to die. And uh, these are, um, the first one is shark attack. People are afraid of shark attack. And uh, if you, I'm not going to have you raise your hand because then you'll be like, that'd be all gruesome. Here's another top fear, airplane crash. That's uh, people like, man, they don't want to get on an airplane. They don't want to get in the ocean. I know people in our church that will not swim in the ocean because of sharks. I know people that will not in our church get on an airplane because they're afraid of it's going to crash. Um, the, another one is the fear of drowning, uh, fear of falling to their death. That's a gruesome. Um, the top two fears of death are murder, and the number one is terminal disease. Uh, there's a lot of people that are just afraid every time they go to the doctor or the, because they know somebody who's, who's had a terminal disease, and you're like, this is my, my, my lotto number's up. This is my turn. My number's here. And the average lifespan for a person is 77.2 years old. That's the average. I put in the numbers. There's this website on what day will I die or when will I die. 
You ever seen those websites where they ask you like a series of questions? You know, how old are you, your health history, all that kind of stuff. And it said that I was going to die in 2026, which would have made me, I think they said it was going to make me like 70 years old or something. I'm like, that sounds cool. (laughs) I was like, I hate this website. I'm below the average, right? I don't buy that. God has my date in mind. God has all that in mind. Uh, Front page stories remind us that this is a reality uh, from war, public shootings, car accidents, domestic violence, disease. Uh, Many, uh, on the flip side, don't think they're ever going to die. So some young adults or teenagers, they think they're never going to die. They ignore it. They're not afraid about it. They live recklessly. Um, We we, uh, have, I've talked about this subject before, and I've rented caskets, and I've had caskets in the room, and people won't even come into a room with a casket on the stage. I remember the last time I rented a casket for a sermon, I rented it from a prop place out in Arlington, and the only way I could transport it was in the back of my Hyundai, my Santa Fe. So I literally had half a casket sticking out of the back of my Santa Fe, (laughs) driving all the way from here to Arlington. I got, people were taking pictures of me at stoplights and on the highway and getting behind me. It was the best. Um, True. And, and, because it's weird. It kind of weirds people out. A casket, you know, particularly one sticking out the back of a car. It's like, uh, you know, too, too cheap to get a hearse. You know, it's a, that type of thing. Well, there's a lot of anxiety. And are we afraid of death? Well, some of you should be. But if you're in Christ, you shouldn't be. This is what the Apostle Paul told Pastor Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.7. He said, for God has not given us the spirit of fear or worry or anxiety, not fear, but a power and love and of a sound mind or clarity or self-discipline. There's a sense that we are not to be walking if you are a follower of Christ in fear. You don't have to be afraid of life and death. And now many people have an unhealthy obsession with death, particularly this time of year. Uh, it used to be that all the scary movies came out in October, you know, pumping up for October for uh, Halloween in October. But, but do you realize that over the last six years, the number one movie genre that's guaranteed success is the horror industry? And on average, two to three horror movies are released every month now. It used to be just a three or four in October. Now you can get them in, there's December, Christmas horror movies in January, February, you know, Valentine's horror movies, they're all year round. People are obsessed with death. By the way, Here's a thought if you like or let your younger children watch uh, horror movies. If you're under 21 and you watch uh, or have an obsession with uh, horror movies and you watch horror movies, you're more likely to develop odd dreams, uh, develop depression, have suicidal thoughts, uh, struggle with anger, have antisocial behavior, and an unhealthy fear of death. If you're under 21, and that's because your brain is in constant development until about 23, and it under 21, the processing of this kind of uh, visual um, images, it it just feeds anxiety and fear in a person, particularly developing. uh, And and it can stick with them for many, many years to come. Um, There's a curiosity with death. Halloween feeds that curiosity. Uh, We were born um, with a sin nature, which means we're drawn to darkness. We're drawn to the curiosity of evil. And that's in our sin nature that we are born with. You know, when I was a youth pastor, 
We used to do these, we had a drama group and, and I used to teach dramas and write dramas and we used to do these productions and, and uh, we would travel with them and, and, and I would write these dramas that would portray the, the fight of spiritual warfare and, and good and evil and, the, and I would have demons in it and angels in it and Jesus. And when I asked the kids like what parts would they want to try out for, it, it never failed. Almost every kid in the group wanted to be a demon. It's like nobody was jumping up and down saying, I want to be an angel. You know, I want to be Jesus. No, they all wanted to be demons. There's this unhealthy fascination and curiosity with evil, and it's in large part because of our sin nature. So what happens when we die? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a quick test. So on your worship guide, there is a, a, uh, a space where it says afterlife test. And I have some questions that I put together. And you can number uh, your tests one to nine. We're going to go through these really quick because I don't want to take a lot of time. I put these together. And all of these answers are answers that people believe, all right? You're going to get quizzed on it. And, and if you fail the test, then that means you're probably going to hell. Just kidding. That's a joke. That's a joke. That was a bad joke. <laughs> so, but you'll understand the questions because it's possible that if you fail at least two very important ones, you might be. All right. So here we go. Question number one, uh, just write down one and then your answer. And then we're going to go find the answers. All right. We're going to find the answers. And then we're going to research these over the next few weeks. All right. Question number one, when you die, do you A, go straight to heaven? B, go to hell if you're bad? C, go to sleep? D, go to purgatory for a while? E, cease to exist? Or F, none of the above? All right, we're going to go through these pretty quack, uh, pretty quick. So uh, write down your letter and we're moving on. Number two. Hell is overseen by the devil, B, demons, C, the angels of God, uh, D, Jesus Christ, or E, it's self-managed. That'd be nice. You guys torture each other. We'll be back in about a millennial, all right? So then, then there's question three. Just write your number and your letter, all right? Number three, what is hell like? Is it A, fire and darkness, B, eternal conscious torment, C, hell is that you cease to exist, D, hell is whatever you hate the most, E, a place where you get to rock out with your heavy metal friends. That's a, I was a metalhead, and I'm still a bit of a metalhead, but when I was growing up in the 80s, that was, we all wanted to go to hell, because we're like, that's where Iron Maiden's going to be, and all, you know, all the cool bands are going to be there, so we're going to be like rocking out with the devil. It's like, how much deception. Oh, I gave you the answer. It's not E. All right. So number four, who goes to hell? A, really bad people, but not me. B, no one, it does not exist. Or C, everyone who is not reborn in Jesus. Now remember, all of these things are believed by people. All right. What do you believe? Is number five, here we go. Heaven is A, whatever we want it to be. Or B, a place on earth, the song. Heaven is a place on earth. C, thank you, Andrew. <laughs> Two of you heard the song. All right, and C, heaven is all white and gold and probably boring. Uh, a D, a state of nothingness and peace. Or E, none of the above. All right. Six, who goes to heaven? A, everyone. B, all good, decent people. C, sincere people of faith, regardless of religion, or D, only those who are born again. Okay, just two more questions. 
Seven, our bodies after we die will be A, like an angel. B, total spirit and immaterial bodies. C, like ghosts that stick around earth. C, like our physical bodies we have now. Or E, naked floating spirits that look like us. I don't think I want to go there if that one's true, because that was a little creepy. All right. Oh, I gave you that one away too. It's not E. All right. So number eight, here we go. When you die, go to the afterlife. Is it A, is it possible to come back? It is possible to come back and talk about it. B, it is impossible to come back because it is forever. C, you have a chance to change your locations. D, you will be sad about who is not there. Or E, you can come back as a spirit ghost and warn people. All right? You can come back and haunt or warn people. And then here's the nine and final question that will determine your eternal state. It is, uh, is it possible to know for a fact where you will spend eternity? A for yes, B for no. All right? Now, we're going to go through these answers quick. I'm not going to explain them because that's what we're going to do over the next few weeks. We're going we're to cover one part today. Today's just going to be on death, the problem, the challenge, the issues of death. Why do we die? Um, and, and next week, we're going to look at the eternal what happens after we die? Next week, we're going to focus on hell. And then the following week, we're going to talk about heaven. We're going to see what the Bible says. Now, these answers are not Ted Blair answers, and these uh, are biblical answers, all right? So the answers, whether you agree with them or not, are what the Bible says on these questions, all right? So we're just going to go through them really quick, and I want you to grade yourself, and here we go. Question number one was, when you die, do you, the answer is F, none of the above, all right, so it was F. Number two, hell is overseen by, the answer is D, Jesus Christ. Okay, now some of you, if you went to Living the Way, our course that we have all our members go through, then you, you already know a lot of these answers because we have a whole section of Living the Way that covers this, this, uh, the topic today in uh, the next couple weeks. Here's the third question was, uh, what is hell like? Well, it is, the answer is B, eternal conscious torment. The next question was, who goes to hell? And the answer is everyone who is not reborn in Jesus. The next question is, heaven is what? Well, heaven is none of the above. It is not any of those things that was described. Number six, uh, who goes to heaven? Well, the answer was D, only those who are born again. Again, these are what the Bible say. Uh, this is not just my opinion. This is what the Bible says. And, and maybe you don't agree or with all of these, but we're looking at the biblical response to these questions. The next question uh, was, our bodies after we die will be B, total spirit and immaterial bodies. I will give you a heads up on that. However, there will be a day when we will get a body again. It's called the resurrection, and that happens later. That's a whole other uh, discussion. Here's the next question, and that was when you die and go to the afterlife, the answer is it is impossible to come back because it is forever. All right? Is it possible to die, to see a vision well, there's a difference. People say, I saw a vision. I went to heaven and saw a vision. Well, did you see a vision or did you go to heaven? All right, there's a difference. Because if you go to heaven, listen, you ain't coming back. If you go to hell, you ain't coming back. All right, that's the thought. 
Here's the next question is, is, uh, is, it, is it possible to know for a fact that you're going to heaven or hell? What's going to happen in your eternity? Uh, yes, it is possible. Absolutely, 100%. You can know without a doubt and have full assurance and peace about your eternity. And so that's what we want to bring. This is a season where there's a lot of worry and anxiety and fear and emphasis and focus put on evil. What I want to do is I want to talk about what God's perspective of this uh, time of year and what this season, what people believe can sometimes be twisted. So let's talk a little bit more about this. Um, what really are the odds of death? Well, here's the odds of death. How close are you? Just under one third of all children die before birth due to abortion. One out of 100 people die at birth. That's from the statistical abstract of the United States. That's amazing. One out of 100 people. Odds of dying before you're a teenager. If you're a white person, it's one out of 75. If you're a black male, if you're a white male, it's one out of 74. If you're a black male, it's one out of 40. You're, you're, uh, you're almost double the odds of, of losing your life if you're a teenager. One in 24 people will die from an injury before they die of old age. One in 24. And here's the big one. This is studies are conclusive. One out of one people will die. That has been proven. Uh, and if you don't believe it, just give us some time. You will know that it is a fact. It's a miracle that you're here today. It's a miracle that you showed up today, that you were born, that you made it through some of your teen years. It is a miracle that you are here. But is it healthy to talk about all this death? You're like, man, this is a bummer. Why are we talking about this? Well, this is what Ecclesiastes, Solomon said to his son in Ecclesiastes 7, Ecclesiastes 7 verse 2, he says, it's better to spend your time at funerals than at parties. This is not the kind of verse you're going to put on a mug and look at in the mornings. It's better to spend time at funerals and at parties, for you are going to die, and you should think about it while there is still time. All right? Verse 3, sorrow is better than laughter, for sadness has a refining influence on us or on you. Verse 4, a wise person thinks much about death, while the fool only thinks about having a good time now. What a great verse. And so that is why we're talking about it today, because I don't want you to be foolish. I want you to have this, this, this sincerity, this refining influence in your life. Death should not cause us to be fearful, but it should cause us to ask questions about life and about life after death, but not to lead to obsession of the unknown. So over the next few weeks, we're going to make some, bring some clarity to the issue. What happens the moment we die? Some look at death and get angry at God. How could you? And then others, they just uh, don't even want to talk about it. Uh, some people never see the light of day of their mother's womb, while others live to be 100 or 120. It's amazing how it seems unfair. What does the Bible say about death? So we're going to dive into today specifically five things that the Bible says about death. Number one is this. We were designed for life, not for death. Number one, we were designed for life, not death. You were designed with life. We were created to never die. It was never God's plan. This is key to understand that you were never created or designed to die. God created Adam and Eve, and he placed them in a perfect place with only one boundary, and he gave them this eternal life that is theirs, and we were designed for life. They disobeyed, and a string of consequences followed. That's the next slide, by the way, Connie, if you're up there. All right. No, you're way behind. All right. Go ahead. One more. 
And one more. Here we go. Let's dive into what Genesis says in chapter 3. It says in verse 17, this is right after the fall, Adam and Eve rebelled against God. God said, you could do anything you want. You've got immortality. I've, I've created you to live forever. Just whatever you do, don't eat that tree because you're going to die if you eat it. All right, so what do they do? Well, they were tempted by the enemy who, who hates all things that God loves, and, and they rebelled. And, and so spiritual death set in as, as well as physical death. And this is what it says. Uh, to Adam, this was God's response. Because you listen to your wife, I'm not going to say a joke there. There's already a joke in just what it says. That's kind of funny. Because you listen to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it, uh, which I commanded you that you must not eat from it. Curses the ground. That means the earth will not cooperate with you. Because of you, through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. That means you're going to have to work to survive. All right? You're not just working. Before the fall, God gave Adam this, 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 uh, this challenge, this charge, this command. Work the garden. Take what I've made you, uh, given you and make it better. Create with it. The word uh, ten means to create. It doesn't mean just to manage. And so uh, work was a pleasure before the fall. Now he says, man, you're going to have to work to survive. And the world is not going to cooperate with you. All right, it's gonna, it's gonna, there's gonna be a lot of travail. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. That means life is gonna work against you. You're always gonna have to be pulling the weeds of life, fixing problems, putting out fires, all that kind of thing. And by the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and dust you will return. He says, at one point, you were designed to live forever, but because you rebelled and you sinned, you ate the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which brought death and rebellion into your life, and now you're going to work your whole life just to survive, and then you're going to die. Doesn't sound very exciting. Adam brought death and struggles into our life. He says, you're nothing but dust. And uh, there, somebody will say, uh, what, what did you say? I didn't say but dust. I said nothing but dust. So verse 21 says, The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. This is a great picture of Jesus, by the way. The very first sacrifice of the innocent. The first blood that was shed by God's hand to cover the sins and the shame of man. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and also take from the tree of life and eat and live forever again. Why? That seems unfair. Why wouldn't God want him to live forever? I mean, he's now going to die. Why not let him live? And he says, so the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been, uh, he had been taken. And after he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the garden cherubim, which are angels, big warring angels, and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Why not let him live? Why not let him just kind of learn from his lesson, become eternal again? Basically, God's saying, I don't want you to live forever. Because you will forever suffer if you live forever. It was God's mercy that allows death to continue in our life. Think about that for a minute. So that our pain would be only be limited to this lifetime, God took away the tree of life from mankind so that our pain and suffering would only last this lifetime 
in Christ if you are a Christian. Romans 5.12 says, When Adam's sin, sin entered the world, Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone. For everyone sinned. See, Adam introduced this snowball of sin nature and fallen world. We were designed to walk with God and to walk without sin. That's why sin is so painful. That's why God hates it so much and so undesirable because it brought so much pain. It brings so much suffering. God despises sin. He doesn't wink at sin. You bad guy. You silly guy. No, he hates it. He despises sin. It, it, it infuriates him. There are certain things that even are an abomination, complete, like the rage, the wrath of God is unleashed on because of the destructive nature of our sin. Death was not God's plan when he created the first people. Romans 8.21 says this. It says, all creation anticipates the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. All of creation. For we know that all creation has been groaning in the, as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present. Every hurricane, every, you know, massive destructive storm, you know, every tsunami, every earthquake, every massive hailstorm that ever took out houses and homes and property like we had a few years back in that, that terrible tornado that, that hit us the day after Christmas a few years back. These, these kind of things are a result of nature groaning, groaning for redemption because of Adam, all of creation is the galaxies, the stars, the galaxies began to die. The stars that we see at night that are so beautiful are actually light years apart. Stars that don't even exist anymore. They're dead. They're, we're seeing the, the light years of their existence fluttering in our eyesight, finally reaching us. All introduced by Adam. Verse 23, and even we Christians, those who are in Christ, also groan to be released from pain and suffering. We too wait anxiously for the day when God will give us full rights as his children, including new bodies as he promised. We die because we are either decaying or because people are destructive to ourselves and to others. These are all a result of the fall. Well, some will say, what about disease? How does disease play into this? How can God allow disease? Um, my brother died of cancer at 42, and I had cancer. My mother died uh, of a, um, of a uh, kidney infection. Um, her... Long story. I don't know to tell it to you. She she died of, of of a disease. She was she was growing tumors in her. She was she was diagnosed with cancer. Um, disease is terrible. It's not just cancer. It's all kinds of diseases that take people out. And you're like God. Why? How could you do this? It's unfair. Well, I want to clarify a few things about how could you take the innocent God? What about the kids? What about the children? What about my grandpa? He never did anything. Let me make some clarifications on what the Bible says about death and disease. Number one, God did not create disease. They are a result of the fall. They emerge as the world continues to decay. As our DNA is broken and, and we are genetically reproducing ourselves, the decay actually takes on more and more of a mutation. And over the years, we have greater instances of, of different types of diseases. Thank God for, for breakthroughs in science and medicine that allow us to have some relief from those. But ultimately, they will continue because they are a result, they emerge as a result of the decay. And your body is getting older. You're, there's genetic determination. Some of you can, you know, like be foolish and smoke every day and live to be 100. And some of you can
can be foolish and smoke every day and die of lung cancer in your 50s. Your genetic determination plays a part of that. Viruses, all of these are a result of a fallen world. God didn't create these. These were introduced thanks to Adam. Number two, no one is really innocent. No one is really innocent because of the sin nature. And because of the sin nature, we're all susceptible to the fallen nature of decay and the pain and violence of other people in this world. And number three, lifestyle choices can result in quicker decay. So some of you, your your unhealthy drinking habits, your unhealthy eating habits, promiscuity, drug uh, addiction and drug abuse, violent violent, uh, or dangerous lifestyles can increase the decay, can result in quicker decay. So when we talk about these kind of issues, we like to shake our fists at God. But this is what the Apostle Paul said in Galatians 6. He says, don't be misled. Remember that you can't ignore God and get away with it. You will always reap what you sow. Those who live only to satisfy their own desires will reap the consequences of decay and death. But those who live to please the Spirit will reap everlasting life from the Spirit. That means this life isn't the end. Everlasting life continues regardless of our death or decay. Here's the second thing you need to know about death, and that is suffering, pain, and death are a result of a fallen world. That's what we just talked about. And as a result of this fallen world, we have to deal with the sinful people also, and disease, and pain, and suffering. Now, this is not the answer that you want to give to somebody when somebody's lost their life. Okay? I want to give you a heads up. When, when you know someone who's lost someone that they love, some of the most unkind things you can say is, well, at least they're not suffering anymore. Well, it's a fallen world. We're all going to die. Or why did my brother die? You know, why did my mom die? Well, we live in a fallen world, and it's, it's the decay of sin and death. They're probably going to want to punch you in the face at that moment because that's not what they need to hear at that moment. These are, these are biblical theological responses to what the Bible says about these. But in moments like that, the best thing you can do is be quiet and be present and just listen and be a part of their pain and carry that burden with them. All right? So this is just, again, these are not the quick answers to when somebody's hurting. These are, these are, these are the foundations for us to, to sift through and decipher the pain that is to come in our life that we can have a foundation to respond to these. Um, pain is going to be impossible to avoid. It will be impossible because we were created to love and because we were created in the image of God to care for each other and to want the best for each other. Because of that, design, we will always have pain in life because when people die, it's a reflection of the love we have for somebody. So don't be angry at the pain. Realize the level of your pain is a reflection of the love that you have. And that kind of love is impossible to avoid. This is what happened to Jesus in John chapter 11. He was out doing ministry, and one of his very best friends, Lazarus, who was not one of his immediate 12 disciples, but Lazarus had two sisters, Mary and Martha. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Ministry supporters, they loved Jesus, occasionally were with him in ministry, but they stayed uh, based at a particular place, and he would often go there, stay there, eat there. While Jesus was doing ministry, Mary and Martha came to Jesus and said, hurry, Lazarus is dying. And Jesus didn't show up until a week later. And a week later, he starts walking into town. And, and uh, uh, Mary runs out 
and she's uh, furious. She is furious, and she falls at Jesus' feet and says, if you were here, if you had been here, he wouldn't have been dead today. And this is what it says in John 11. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Now, he had the power to raise the dead. But his heart was hurting for their pain. And he's also about to express his pain. Verse 34, where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. 35, smallest verse in the whole Bible, Jesus wept. Jesus was in pain for his friends. Then the Jews, it says, saw how he loved him. Think about this. You would think that if anybody would not cry at a funeral, it would be Jesus. Because he knows the state of this person's eternity if, you know, he has the power to resurrect the dead. And being God, who's omniscient, who knows all things, he knew exactly what was already going to happen and was prepared and was probably didn't rush over there because he's like, yeah, I'll raise him in the dead, from the dead, you know, seven days from now. I'll just let him die. I'll raise him from the dead. He, but instead, <clears throat> in his humanity, he still wept. Why? Because love brings pain. And when you lose somebody you love... It will always serve, even when you know where they're going and what's going to happen. That's why Paul says we don't mourn like those who are lost. We mourn with a hope. He didn't say we don't mourn. He didn't say we don't cry anymore or we don't miss our mom or our dad or our family member or our sister or our brother. God, he didn't say we weren't going to. He said we're going to mourn. It's going to be painful, but we're going to do this with hope. I'll tell you, I, I, I can't tell you anything that will ever make pain and suffering of death go away. It's impossible. As long as we're here and as long as we love, we will feel the sting of pain, death, and suffering because we were never designed to die, and it hurts. Here's number three. The tighter we hold on to life, the harder it is to let go. Some of you, you're holding on so tight, so tight. Look at your, look at your body. Ask yourself, is it getting better? <laughs> no matter how long you work out, 40 years from now, you're going to be flabby. Trust me. Your new car will break down no matter the improvements. I want to do an illustration that I've done before, and I'm going to grab it up here. Uh, this illustration represents eternity, and it represents how, how no matter what we put into life, um, it's going to come to an end. And some of you, you just, you just put so much time and energy into things that just are not of eternal value or... And so I've got this rope, and many of you guys have seen me do this illustration before, and this was actually an illustration that was um, done by Francis Chan. And uh, this is a great illustration. Let's just imagine that this rope represents eternity, okay? It just goes on forever. You saw me go up the steps. It goes down and up the steps, and then it just goes on forever. <laughs> it just actually just it's tied to the top of the... Of the <laughs> of the stairs. But imagine it goes on for eternity. And this is, this is it. This is, this is our life on earth. This is it. This is our lifespan on earth. All right. We're born. We're, we're kids. We're teens. We're adults. If you make it to any of those phases of life and then you die and then eternity 
right? This is eternity, just, just a map forever and ever and ever and ever. But the, the strange thing is, is we focus on this so much. We work for this. We save for this. We, we like, we work our, ourselves to the bone, sacrificing our family and our friends so that we can have like a vacation here. And then we do it all over again. And then we, we skip out on life and, and, and pursuits of, of, of family and relationships because we want to we wanna retire here. And all of a sudden, life is over and then you're here. We put so much investment into this when we were created for this. And, and what's interesting is that the Bible says is that how we spend this life determines this life. But instead of living for this life, so many of us spend all our time focusing on this life, this piece, this part, this money. We're investing in this world, this life, this account, this car, this house, this future, this home. We, we put everything into this when God says, no, you're designed to invest in this. This is your life. And the tighter you hold on to this, the less ready you are for this. That's why Jesus says in Matthew that we ought to store up treasures in heaven, not on earth, where this will all fade away and break. There's the verse in Matthew 6. But we ought to store up our treasures in heaven where they will not be destroyed, where they will not fade, where they, where they will not be uh, decay. Everything, we ha everything you have will end here. Everything you have. Why are you focusing so much time and energy on this? When God says, I've made you for this. And the tighter you hold on to this, the harder it will be. And the less you'll understand eternity. So Jesus is challenging us. In Colossians 3, the Apostle Paul speaks uh, the words of Christ, and God is speaking through him, and he says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died. You died, and your life is now hidden in Christ with God. Now, he's saying you died to yourself, and then one day we will die in reality, and then we'll face eternity. He says, why are you, why are you chasing the golden ring? It's not about how many tickets you can get, how many rides you can ride, how many stickers you can obtain on your travel bag, and there's nothing wrong with life and journeys and experience, but why invest in this when this is what we're called to live and to know? This will change this, but we focus on this. Here's the next thing, number four. Death is certain, but it's not the end. This life is not the end. You know, the survival rate is zero. Are you prepared? If there's anything in life to be prepared for, it would be the next life. You know, a lot of people think the Christians, all we do is think about the next life and we don't focus on this life. That's not true. We focus on this life and the next life. We invest in life, in people, and in, and in being compassionate, generous, gracious people of patience and love and mercy. 
And we do this out of the, the, the Holy Spirit that is calling us and drawing us and giving us a love for humanity and people. But we don't do that at the cost of the next life. Some of you, it's like all they want to do is talk about heaven and hell. Well, it's the reality of thinking about the next life because your moment could be over in a second. And we love you enough to tell you and to share with you that, that this life is frail and fragile. Our physical bodies will die, but our soul will live forever. This is what Hebrews 27, 28 says. It says this, just as man is destined to die once. Everybody say once. That verse is combats the lie of reincarnation. There is no reincarnation. You don't get a do-over, according to the Bible. You don't get a, you know, if you're a good person, you don't come back as something better. If you're a bad person, you don't come back as a, as a cockroach or a cow or, or, you know, some other animal or creature or insect or a gnat. Uh, you, you, you live the consequences of eternity based upon this life and the choices of this life. Hebrews, uh, the writer of Hebrews says, just as man is destined to die once, everybody say once, by the way, this also denounces the notion of ghosts that get to somehow a spirit that hovers, an aunt, a grandpa, generations of some kind of spirit at some haunted house. Uh, the, this, this verse blows all that out of the water because it says this. It says, it is destined for man to die once. Everybody say once. And after that, immediately after that, face judgment. That means they face God. So you don't get to hover with unresolved issues, <laughs> you know? You know, I never, I never resolve my issues with my parents, so I'm gonna stay here and, and haunt the house. You know, I was, you know, all the crazy, ridiculous, haunted house stories and possession stories, they, they're not biblical, all right? That's not good theology. I mean, they're kind of foolish, actually. But this verse is denounces the lie of reincarnation, ghosts, and by the way, near-death experiences. People who, basically, if it's near-death, then you didn't die, which, by the way, I think that's ironic. They're called near-death. You know, every time someone dies and comes back, it's a near-death. No, it was, if you died, it was not a near-death. It was death experience. But the Bible says it's appointed for man to die how many times? Once. Well, people say, well, I know what I experienced. Well, what beats experience? The standard of the scripture. We can't let scripture dictate our life. Scripture dictates our life. So if the scripture is true, we must redefine what that experience was. What's interesting about near-death experiences, by the way, is that they all contradict each other. You notice that? Every Christian that supposedly went to heaven and came back has a different version of heaven. You know, there's some similarities because they, they kind of pick and choose what is going to, you know, what fits their story or their vision. Or guys that say they've gone to hell that they, and that somehow they got out of hell and they're here to tell about it. No, you didn't. You didn't go to hell. You might have had a nightmare or a dream or a vision or some experience. Here's something interesting also about near death. If you were to go to India or go to Africa or, or, or talk to a Muslim, there are people of different religions that also have, quote, near-death experiences. And guess what their near-death experiences are? Each one of those near-death experiences reflect the cultural background of their people. If they're Hindu, they have a Hindu 
afterlife experience when they come back. Or Muslim, they see Allah and come back. Or a tribal ancestry experience where they see family. Because when we get into that state, our brain is active even after we die. You ever killed a bug and it's still going like this? It's kind of freaking you out. You know it's dead. Or a snake and it's still doing this. Or like, oh, I cut the head off. Oh. Well, your body is still in motion. Your, your brain is still active. And a lot of times in moments like that, what we experience are experiences of our cultural life experience and death experiences. And what we see, the brain is pretty powerful. What, you know, I saw the doctors. I heard conversation. You probably did hear conversation because you, your brain is active. And I, but I saw everybody. Well, you might have been able, the brain is powerful and able to piece together the experience through, you know, through its amazing, you know, we don't use most of our brain anyhow. The point is, is your experience dictating your life or is the scripture dictating your life? Because it is the point of man to die. How many times? Once. You see, these false beliefs are tools of the enemy to distract us from the truth. They're all tools of the enemy to get us to think that maybe this isn't it, that maybe we have another chance. I want to I end with this thought right here. Scripture tells us that the soul and the body separate. I've got these gloves here. I'm putting my hand in them. And, and when you look at this glove, do you think that that is my hand or do you think my glove is in the hand? All right. This glove didn't become my hand. My hand is still inside the glove, but all you see is the glove. What is alive, the glove or my hand? My hand is alive. Is the glove alive? Is the glove alive? The glove is just a glove. It's just a shell over my hand. It's just a process over my hand. Matthew says this in Matthew 10, 20. Sorry, Jesus says this in Matthew. Uh, our souls, number five, this is the last one. Our souls will separate from our physical bodies when we die. Verse 28, Matthew 10 says, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy the soul and the body in hell or in Sheol. Don't fear people, but live under a reverent fear of God who has the power over not just the body, someone might be able to take your life, but only God has control over your soul and can dictate what happens to your soul. Don't be afraid of the glove, be afraid of the hand, right? So when you have a funeral, and all of you will have one, and when your funeral shows up, and you will have a funeral, Unless, we, unless Christ comes back in our time, everyone will go to Aunt Gurney's house and they'll eat cake and have coffee and they'll all be sad that you're gone, but you're more alive than you ever were. You're more alive than, than you were when you were with him because the glove, our body, is just a shell. And your body is not what's eternal. It's the soul that is inside of you that is internal. All we're seeing is the glove. We see the glove of your spirit. That's your body. These are new gloves. But over a few years, these gloves are going to get holes in them. They're going to get rips and torn. And eventually, I'm going to throw them away. Maybe. Just like your body will get old and torn and ragged. And, or maybe some accident will happen and you'll be separated from your glove. Your, your, your body will just... Be separated. You'll still be alive. You were alive all along. This glove was never alive. 
It was just the shape of my hand. There's a verse. I want us all to stand, and we're going to read this verse, and we're going to close with this thought. Okay? I want us to read this standing up. So this is one of those stand verses. Okay? We're going to read 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. And we're going to read this. Uh, I'd like you to read along with me, either, either on the screen or in your, on your Bible. Uh, we don't stand when we read the Scriptures too much, but you're going to know why we're standing here in just a moment. It says this, verse 1, For we know that when this earthly tent, this glove that we live in is taken down, that is, when we die and leave this earthly body, we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. We grow weary in our present bodies, and we long to put our heavenly bodies uh, put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing. For we will put on heavenly bodies. We will not be spirit without bodies. We won't be ghosts. We won't be naked baby angels, you know. We won't be floating around wearing togas, eating grapes, and playing the harp. That's not the picture of the Bible that we get. We're going to talk about heaven in two weeks. While we live in these earthly bodies, we groan and we sigh. But it's not that we want to die and get rid of these bodies that clothe us. Rather, we want to put on our new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. God himself has prepared us for this. And as a guarantee, he has given us his Holy Spirit. So we are always confident, even though we know that as long as we live in these bodies, we are not at home with the Lord. But we know by believing and by not, uh, we, we, we live by believing, not by seeing. We walk by faith, not by sight. Verse 8, yet we are fully confident. We would rather be away from these earthly bodies, to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. For then we will be at home with the Lord. So what do we do until then? This is what he says. So whether you are here in this body or away from this body, our goal is this to make as much money as possible, to be YouTube famous, to record uh, some great book or album and become, you know, a celebrity, to have the, the, the most likes on our social media pages. Until then, our goal is to have a house with shiplap. No, our goal is to please him. Until then, our goal is to, to live for God, to please Jesus. For we all must stand before Christ and be judged, all of us. We're going to talk about that next week. There's judgments for Christians and non-Christians. We will each receive whether we, we will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. Verse 10, for we all must stand before Christ to be judged. There will be a day where you will stand. You won't be lounging. You won't be in a lazy board chair. You won't be on the couch. You won't have your feet up. You'll be standing just like this. And you'll be gazing into the glory of God, Christ on the throne. And you will give an account for your life. You're just a glove. And one day, this life will end. You're going back to the ground. You'll be in a casket in an urn or tossed into the ocean, whatever your family chooses to do. And you will stand like this before God. What will you do? That day that Adam and Eve sinned, 
God hid them and took them away from the tree of life. But there is a tree of life that's now given to us. Jesus is that tree of life. And if you will take of him and eat of his flesh and of his blood, as Jesus said, if you will partake of him, you will live forever. You will have eternal life. And you will not taste the second death, which we're going to talk about next week. So this is the truth, Romans 5, 17. The sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over us. But all who receive God's wonderful, gracious gift of righteousness will live in triumph over sin and death through one, Jesus Christ. Jesus conquered death, and he gives us the opportunity to conquer it with him. You can be seated. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much, Lord, that for eternal life. God, we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be afraid. In Christ, there's this peace of knowing that though the pain of loss is deep and it hurts, God, it hurts so much. God, it hurts with hope for everyone that we've loved who's in Christ. God, thank you for salvation and that hope that you bring. If you're here right now and you are not sure about your life, the moment that you were to die today, This could be your last chance, your last opportunity, your last moment. And I want to give you an opportunity to say yes to Jesus. Yes to say, Jesus, I want your life for forgiveness. I want to live forever with you. If you're here and that's you today and you're realizing that this life is just so short and frail and you would like to say yes to Jesus, then I want to lead you in a prayer. And I would like us all to pray this together. Let's pray this. Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for giving your life for me. Thank you for the cross. Forgive me of my sin. I give you my life. I want to walk with you. Show me how to live, how to be your disciple, and I will follow. Thank you, God, for forgiveness and a new start. In Jesus' name, amen. Keep your heads bowed. Nobody looking. If you prayed that today, would you just raise your hand right now and say, you know what, I prayed that today. That was a fresh start. Amen. Anybody else? There's others. Say, you know what, I prayed that today. Amen. Anybody else? You know what, that was my prayer today. Amen. God, thank you for those that raised their hand. But more importantly, God, thank you for the cross, which allows us to stand boldly one day before you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Living with Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.